Good morning, everybody. Good to see the hall full up, or almost full up anyway. Glad you could all get in. Right, let's uh, pray before I start. Father, we do thank you that you have given us your words, the Bible. We thank you that you reveal yourself and your character to us through this word. And we pray, Lord, now that we would listen to your word and take it to heart and we would learn from it, Lord, and we would allow you to change our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit. Your word tells us that you give us your spirit, Lord, if we turn to you, if we repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus, then you will bless us with your spirit and guide us and help us to live our lives the way you want us to live them. So we do pray now, Father, that we would hear, really hear what you're saying to us through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, I'm sorry if you are visitors today, but we've been following um, the letters of John. He wrote three letters, for those of you that may not be familiar with that. And um, at the beginning of the month, we looked at John's second letter. Today we're going to look at his third letter which will then conclude our study of those three letters. Now, um, as I mentioned when I spoke about 2 John, the evidence for John being the author of 2 and 3 John is not as strong as the evidence for attributing 1 John to the authorship of the Apostle and Gospel writer. This is the same John that wrote the Gospel that we're talking about, the Gospel of John. But there are links in the subject matter of those three letters and the vocabulary is similar. And hence, it is thought that all three of those letters were written by a common author. Now, as we shall see when we read 3 John, in this letter, John positively encourages hospitality, whereas in 2 John, he forbade hospitality toward the false teachers. And um, for those of you that haven't heard about um, 1 and 2 John, we, we read about false teachers and false prophets that go out from among the early church and we're warned about those people. And we're warned because they don't tell the truth, they don't believe in the full doctrine of Christ and truth is another theme that comes out in um, 1 and 2 John and also 3 John. The date of the letter we think is about um, AD 90 to 95. John was very elderly when he wrote these letters and um, he was looking after probably churches in the um, Asia Minor area as a pastor to those churches. Okay, let's turn to 3 John then, just a very short letter, 14 verses. I'm reading from the New King James Version. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. 
Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God. But he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly and shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Now, just as in 2 John, the author again describes himself as the older, suggesting not only his age, but his maturity as a Christian, having been a chosen apostle of the Lord Jesus and a founding father of the early church. 3 John is addressed to the beloved Gaius and could be taken as a personal letter. However, if you look at verse 14, John says, greet the friends by name. It seems to support the idea that John's real desire is that Gaius will in fact share this letter with members of the church. Who is this beloved Gaius? Nothing is known about Gaius other than the complimentary tribute John pays to him in the address of this letter. Gaius was a common name in the Roman world and the name appears five times in the New Testament referring to probably four different people. In Acts 19.29 that mentions a Gaius of Macedonia a travel companion of Paul's. In Acts 20 and verse 4 that speaks of a Gaius of Derby, again a companion of Paul's and conceivably the same Gaius as the one in Acts 19. However, Derby, of course, is in Asia and not in Macedonia, but there could be an interpretation or a translation problem in the scriptures there. In 1 Corinthians 1.14, Paul's um, baptised, sorry, Paul baptised a Corinthian named Gaius, who, according to Romans 16.23, hosted Paul on a visit to Corinth. And then fourthly, we have the addressee of 3 John, where there is no evidence for associating this Gaius with any of the others. And this particular Gaius appears to be a leader or co-leader or elder of one of the Asian churches 
under John's spiritual authority. Now, having spoken about Gaius, let's look at the other two names mentioned in the letter, starting with Diotrephes. This name only appears once in the New Testament, and all that we know about him is written in verses 9 and 10 of this letter. And we'll come back to that when we look at the detail of the letter. The other character, Demetrius, also has a common name. But there are only two people in the New Testament with that name, which is mentioned three times. The other Demetrius was the silversmith of Ephesus. You may remember the story of him who um, got the apostles into trouble. He appears in Acts 19, verses 24 and 38. Um, now, there was also a man named Demas, um, who was a deserting companion of Paul, mentioned in Paul's second letter to Timothy. And apparently, Demas was a pet form of the name Demetrius. Now, those two, the other Demetrius, the silversmith, and this Demas, or possibly Demetrius, are believed by some to be the same person of three John. But that's quite unlikely. They would have to be very reformed characters to be the same person. So I'm going to assume that this Demetrius was a different person. Now, in writing about Gaius, Demetrius and Diotrephes, John highlights the positive and negative aspects of the relationships among believers. Gaius demonstrated his Christian faith by his generous hospitality even to strangers. The life of Demetrius exemplified Christian fidelity and was worthy of imitation. Diotrephes, on the other hand, was selfish and proud and disrupted the unity and the harmony of the fellowship. And as we go through this letter in a little more detail, I think it might be worthwhile to examine ourselves and see if we have any of these negative traits within us that may need dealing with? Or are we perfect? <laughs> okay, now just before we go to the detail, let's look at the importance of hospitality in Bible times. As far as the Greeks were concerned, or the non-believers if you like, hospitality was a sacred duty. They disliked taking money for giving hospitality, which made the profession of an innkeeper a lowly job. Consequently, inns were notoriously dirty and unsatisfactory. A system was established, therefore, of guest friendships, whereby families in different parts of the country undertook to give each other's members hospitality when the occasion arose. And if the heathen world accepted the obligation of hospitality, it was only to be expected that Christians would take it more seriously still. Paul tells the Romans in chapter 12, verse 13, practice hospitality. Peter tells the church in his first letter, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And this one is very interesting, and I'm sure people might have personal experiences of things like this. Hebrews, the, the writer to the Hebrews says in 13.2, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. What a tremendous thought, isn't it? 
that you might have entertained an angel in your house? Okay, let's turn to the detail of the letter. John addresses Gaius in verse 1 as beloved, which could be written as my dear friend. And we can imagine John's feelings for Gaius because he uses this term another three times in this short letter, verses 2, 5 and 11. John also loves Gaius in truth. Truth itself is another word used four times in the first four verses. The word for truth, aletheia, is derived from a negative, as indicated by the first letter A. You probably know that A turns um, positive words into a negative in the Greek. So you have a theist who believes in God and you have an atheist who doesn't believe in God. So aletheia is the opposite of fictitious, feigned or false. And it can denote veracity, reality, sincerity, accuracy, integrity, truthfulness, dependability and propriety. Throughout his letters, John attaches a much more significant word, a meaning to the word truth, than um, if you would say, Gaius, whom I really love, for example, He's really thinking about a deep kind of love, an agape love, that is consistent with the fundamental truths of the faith. You remember that John spoke um, many, many times about love in these letters. And uh, this is um, an agape love, the love that really comes from Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth and the life, John fourteen six. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Truth in John fourteen seventeen. John writes in his first letter, you may like to flip to this as it's only a few pages away. Look at 1 John 3, verses 18 and 19. 1 John 3, 18 and 19. I'll read it out in a minute when you're ready. So he says, my little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall shall assure our hearts before him. That's God he's talking about. I came across um, a a quote by William Barclay and this uh, this might make you think. Actually, Barclay said, the truth is what makes a person think and act like God. He was, um, for those that don't know about Barclay, he was a well-known Bible commentator. And he said, the truth is what makes a person think and act like God. Now in verse 2 we have another word which we ought to consider carefully, and that is prosper. The literal meaning is to go well or to help on the road. And divine prosperity is an ongoing progressive state of well-being and success and can encompass every area of our lives, spiritual, physical, emotional and material. However, we will do well not to expect any divine prosperity in our Christian lives other than the peace and joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything above that 
will be a blessing indeed. John's prayer in verse 2 is that the physical health of Gaius would match his spiritual health and vigour. Now from verse 3 it appears that there was a flow of believers between the church where Gaius was a member and John's community, which was probably in the region of Ephesus, as I said before, in Asia Minor. Some of these believers told John about Gaius's faithfulness and that he walked in the truth. Now we need to ask ourselves daily, I think, and be honest with ourselves, do we walk the talk? Terrible phrase, isn't it? But do we do what we are supposed to do? Turn to James chapter 2, verses 14 and 17. 14 to 17, sorry. James chapter 2. This is one of the ways that we can tell whether we walk the talk. So James chapter 2, 14 to 17. What does it profit, profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And verse 3, we see that John rejoiced greatly when he heard this news about Gaius and in verse 4 he was overjoyed to hear that his children also walked in the truth. His children here could simply be those whom John had a pastoral responsibility for or they may even be his own converts to the faith. Now we know it's the Holy Spirit who convicts and converts but many of us look at a human being as our spiritual father or mother. That is the one who pointed the way for us to the Lord Jesus. In verses 5 to 8, we see the commendation for Gaius' hospitality. And we can compare and contrast this with the conduct of Diotrephes, as recorded in verses 9 and 10. John commends Gaius for practising hospitality, not only to those he knew, but to also to strangers. And this passage introduces the idea of the itinerant preachers again, of whom we heard about in 2 John. Remember, some were genuine in their faith, and others were false teachers. Hospitality was required of all Christians, but from 2 John 10 and 11, it was sometimes necessary to refuse it. Let's just look at that. 2 John 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, and this, remember, is, is the whole doctrine of Christ, that he was fully human and fully God. That's what the false teachers were declining, to admit that he was fully human and fully God. So if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds." And we can only assume here in this uh, 3 John that Gaius was able to discern between strangers who were of sound doctrine and those who were not. And those whom Gaius entertained bore witness 
to the church of his own, Gaius' own agape love. It seems that these brothers would again return to Gaius needing hospitality and John admonishes that they be sent forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God. This probably means that the travelling brothers were to be recognised as servants of God and supported as such. In such cases, Christians were to provide hospitality as if the Lord himself were being welcomed. Jesus says in John 13 verse 20, Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now back to the letter in verse 7, John gives examples of itinerant missionaries who have pure motives and are deserving of hospitality. They go forth for his name's sake, looking to bring glory to God rather than for themselves. They take nothing from the pagans or the Gentiles, but they rely on the church to support their needs. They are not in ministry for money or personal gain. And in verse 8, for those who show hospitality to such as these, they indirectly participate in the ministries of those to whom they give hospitality. So that's the good person. Now look at the bad person, Diotrephes, 9 and 10. If we can try and remember what we said about Gaius and mentally compare and contrast his uh, behaviour with what we um, see about Diotrephes. And this paragraph is probably the reason why John wrote to Gaius. So it appears here that John had already addressed a letter to Diotrephes which was either lost or perhaps even ignored or destroyed by Diotrephes. It's not unreasonable to suppose that John had written to Diotrephes and the church at which he, that's Diotrephes, was possibly the leader or the elder. It could have been the same church as Gaius, um, but probably a different fellowship. John's request to the church was to afford hospitality to travelling missionaries that he had sent out and give them support to speed them on their way. For reasons not entirely clear, Diotrephes opposed John. It could be that he disliked John's influence over the fellowship that he himself was leading. It could even be an age thing. I stand here in my 60s, late 60s. John was very elderly. Diotrephes may have been a younger whippersnapper. Who knows? Whatever the case, his character reference doesn't look very good. Apart from his disrespect in ignoring John's letter, he loves to have the preeminence. This suggests being arrogant, selfish, self-centred, self-seeking, self-promoting, not wanting to serve, but to be served. And this itself contradicts Jesus' teaching on servant leadership. You can see a passage on that in Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28. But I'll just read verse 28. It says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Diotrephes does not receive the brethren. He doesn't give any hospitality. 
he talks against the believers foolishly and maliciously, prates or prattles, if you like, and he forbids others to receive the brethren. He even puts out of the church those who resist his authority with regards to showing hospitality to believers. Now we move on to um, verses 11 and 12 and we have an exhortation here first of all and then an endorsement of Demetrius. So verse 11, presumably with the evil deeds of Diotrephes in mind, John exhorts Gaius and his fellowship not to imitate people such as Diotrephes but to do what is good and of God. At the end of the verse, John effectively says, that Diotrephes and those like him cannot have been born again, for they have not seen God. Now remember, thinking about um, that word imitate there, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Paul calls his um, Ephesian church um, to imitate God, to be imitators of God. He says to the Corinthians, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And the word for imitate is always used in a continuous tense, suggesting a constant habit or practice. Is that what our lives are like? Constantly like that? We are called to imitate God because we should not compare or judge ourselves by any other standard, only by his standard. For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 says. Paul writes to the Romans and says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we should only ever compare ourselves with God. Now in Christ, the Son of God, the Father's attributes of love, truth and righteousness have become available to all who love God and desire to obey his commands. To display these attributes in our lives proves that we are from God. All goodness proceeds from God. Our perseverance in goodness demonstrates that in Jesus Christ we have seen God. Are we displaying these attributes in our lives? Verse 12 now introduces Demetrius, who may have been the bearer of this letter. On the other hand, he could easily have been a travelling missionary and was going to take the letter with him, um, or whatever. Whichever the case, John honours him with a threefold tribute. He is well spoken of by everyone. He is walking in the truth, just like Gaius. And he is known to John, and John himself bears witness for him. Now we move on to verse 13, the farewell greeting, which is virtually, virtually identical to that in 2 John and speaks of John's desire to visit those to whom he is writing. Verse 14, as I said earlier, indicates that uh, John's desire that his letter should be read to the church members uh, by Gaius himself. So we've reached the end of John's letters and it seems appropriate to conclude this talk with a summary of some of the highlights in these letters. And I've just um, jotted down what have been um, things that have spoken to me personally. 
And you may like to reread these letters at home and draw up your own list. It might be a good idea, there's so much in them. But I think probably most importantly, what we can learn from these letters um, is that God is love. You remember 1 John 4. Um, it appears twice there, God is love. And it's so reminiscent of his gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So this love that we're talking about is this agape love that goes all the way through John's letters and it describes the unconditional love that God has for the world. Even while we were sinners, it says in the Bible, Christ died for us. This love always seeks the highest good for others and looks for no return. However, John realised that knowing something and acting upon it were sometimes miles apart. And in these letters he sets a simple test by which we can measure our faith and the genuineness of our Christian lifestyle. So then the knowledge that God is love is tested by whether one loves fellow believers even as one loves God. And remember he thinks about being born again. If you're not showing these qualities in your lives he's saying are you really born again? That comes from John 3, being born again of his spirit. We need to be born again by the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God. Now similarly, the knowledge that God is light is tested by whether we walk in the light. Let's obey his commands. The knowledge that God is righteous is tested by whether one lives righteously as befits being born of God. John tells us in 1 John 4, 7, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And here we're not talking about knowing about God, but knowing God, actually getting to know him personally. That's what life is all about, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who came to save the world. That is life, knowing Jesus. 1 John 4, 12 and 13 says, If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So again, I prayed earlier at the beginning, if we repent and believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is our saviour and our Lord, we will receive the gift of his spirit. It will enable us to live the lives that God wants us to live. Now the last two verses that I quoted also remind me of the importance of fellowship and that in Christ we may have fellowship together and truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son Jesus Christ. That's from 1 John 1.3. We can be a family together. Also from John's letters, we've had warnings about false teachers and doctrines and antichrists. We need to be ready for Jesus' return. If there are any here that's, that aren't familiar with the Bible, this last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, that's again by um, John the Apostle, it tells us that Jesus Christ is coming back. He will return to um, 
bring into being his kingdom in the earth. Are we in his kingdom now though? God gives his kingdom now to those who turn to him. We have his kingdom within our hearts if we've been born again. We are children of God. So we need to be ready for his return. He's coming back. We are children of God. Do we behave as such? We need to constantly ask ourselves these questions. We have learned about in these last couple of letters of John um, when and when not to give hospitality. We've learned about truth, love and obedience. So may we remember to put all these good and godly things into practice in our lives. And I'd like to leave you with the words from 1 John 5. You might like to turn this as I re- turn to this as I read it. 1 John 5 verse 20. I leave this as a prayer for all of us. One John five verse twenty, and we know that the Son of God has come, and has given us an understanding, that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God, and eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Jesus. We do thank you, Father, that through Jesus we can come and have life in this world, in this life of ours. We can have true life. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives us this power in our lives to live as you want us to live. Help us, Lord, we pray, always to look at what we are doing, always to give you thanks for the experience we know to be true in our lives and to show that love to others. We thank you, Lord, that you've moulded us into a family here. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in us and help us to grow together in Christ and help us to grow closer to you, Lord Jesus. We ask this for your sake and for your glory. Amen.